His presence is here with us, guys. Whatever it is on your heart, just open it up to the Lord. He wants to come in. He wants to fill you. He wants to restore you. He wants to heal you. He wants salvation is in the house today. Healing is in the house today. Every answer to every situation that you're facing is here in the house today. Just open up to Him and invite Him in. You can just feel that presence, just soak in it, that anointing that just flows over us. We just thank You, Lord, as You flow today. That anointing oil just fills us to overflowing, just soothing us like that beautiful oil that run down on the beard of Aaron, that unity. We are here together today in the presence of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we just welcome You, Holy Spirit. Have Your way today. Amen. The answer to every situation that you're facing is in the house today, in the name of Jesus, the name that is higher than any other name, the name that is greater than any other name. Jesus went to the cross and shed His blood for every single situation that you're facing, for every disease, for every sickness, for anxiety, for depression. It can be broken off today in Jesus' name. Give it over to Him. Give it over to Him and those chains will be broken. We just invite your Holy Spirit, fill us up. Break those chains that are holding us. As we go into 2023, we want it 2023, free of those things that are holding us back. Amen? Let's walk in that freedom, church. Let's walk in that freedom that He offers us when He died on the cross and rose again and took everything on His body so that we could walk in freedom, in relationship with Him. Amen? Thank you, team. Thanks, everyone. You may be seated. Oh, that presence of God is so beautiful, isn't it? It's so tangible. You can feel it, can't you? As He comes and He fellowships with us. This morning, I get the honour to bring the message for the year, the first message for 2023. I feel like doing it. You know how you can do it? go cross-eyed and look at people, you know, that, that look like, oh, my gosh, help, you know. But, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit, when I was over there, Paul was like, gave me a picture of me up the front going cross-eyed to everybody, like, you don't know what you're in for, you know. But uh, no, that's not the case. The message is straight from God, so it has to be a good message, doesn't it? The title of the message as we go into 2023 is The Church in 2023. Not Victory Life Broom, not the church structure, but us, the people, the church, it's very much in line with what Brenda prayed this morning, what Di brought in communion message. I love the way God lines everything up. And as we go into 2023, we are his people. We are the church. So to understand that, let's have a little look at what the church is. When we look at the, uh, the Greek word in the New Testament for church, the word used is ecclesia, and it means the called out ones the set-apart ones. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. We are to be the salt and the light in a world, in the world. We are not of the world. We are to carry him with us and be that light and that salt to those around us. Amen? We are in a relationship with Jesus. And the church are the people who have received Jesus as Lord and Saviour. It speaks of Jesus' intimacy with us, his love for us. 
And how does Jesus describe his church in the word? We always look in the word for the truth, don't we? Amen? So let's, I'm going to look at a few scriptures which talk about how Jesus describes his church, which is us. If you've got your Bibles, the first scripture that we're going to look at is 1 Corinthians 12 and 27. And it says, now you are Christ's body. That's how he describes us. We are Jesus' hands and feet on the earth. We go about the Father's business on the earth. We are his body. And we know that our bodies are made up of many parts and that we all work in unity. And it's the same with the church as a people. We all bring different gifts and talents to the body and we all work in unity together. We are Christ's body, his hands and feet on the earth, going about the Father's business. In Ephesians 5 and 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So here, it is like, the church is likened to a marriage covenant between a husband and a wife. Jesus laid down his life for us. He is, um, he is like the bridegroom and we are like the bride. And it's, he says, husbands, as husbands love their wives, so too does God love his church, the bridegroom and the bride. In Isaiah 54 and verse 5, it says, For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name. Our maker, our creator, is also our husband. He is our Lord. He created us. He formed us. He loves us. It speaks of that intimacy, which is in a marriage covenant between a husband and a wife. It's the same intimacy that God uses to describe us, his church, that love for us, that intimacy he wants with us. He wants us presented before him without spot, and blemish as his church. It says in Ephesians 5 and verse 27. He knows he's coming soon. He's coming for a church without spot or blemish. And we know that when we give our hearts to the Lord, we are a new creation in him. And he doesn't leave us the same, does he? He takes us, he transforms us, he moves us forward. We go to different levels. We go from strength to strength and glory to glory. Because he's coming back for a church without spot or blemish, for his people. In 2 Corinthians 1, it says, Now he who, is, who has established us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. It's talking about that unity. God brings us together and anoints us. It's God. And he has sealed us. He has sealed us and given us in our hearts the spirit as a guarantee. He sealed us. He set us apart. We are his called out ones. And he's given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. So when we give our hearts to the Lord and we invite him in, we get the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And that word guarantee, he gives us the Spirit as a guarantee, is from the Greek word arabon. And it means a guarantee. It means a pledge. It means a down payment. It means an engagement. Again, it's likened to a marriage, isn't it? Christ loves us like a husband loves a wife, like a fiancé loves his one he's betrothed to. You know when you become engaged to someone, it's so exciting. You're committed. 
your life to them. You're going to go into covenant relationship and you're going to fellowship every day in that journey for the rest of your life. It's a covenant and it's the same with Jesus and us. That's how much he loves us. It's a guarantee that he will not leave us where we first met him, but he will take us on a journey with him in fellowship. He wants to fellowship with us like a husband and a wife. He wants to spend time with us. It speaks of love, doesn't it? Of his love for us and his intimacy. He wants to be intimate and involved in every area of our life. In 1 Corinthians 6, it says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you and whom you have from God? In the New Testament, there are two words that are used for temple. So we're talking about when we give our lives to the Lord and the Holy Spirit fills us up, the Holy Spirit indwells, he lives inside of us, we carry him with us in the temple. Our body is referred to here as a temple. And there are those two words that are used in the New Testament. One is hiron, and it talks about the temple building, the structure of the temple itself. And the second word is naos, and that talks about the holy of holies. And that word naos is what's used here. And in the temple, there was the holy of holies. It was an inner sanctum in the temple where the Ark of the Covenant lived. And only the certain priests could go there. And he would go into the presence of God. And that was in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. Now, the Holy of Holies, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, is our bodies. And we have access all the time to Jesus, to the throne room, because the Holy Spirit lives in us, in the Holy of Holies. We carry him with us wherever we go. We should be, when we walk into a room, people should know there's something different about us because we carry that. Sometimes we forget that we carry the Holy Spirit in us, the Holy of Holies. We can have that quiet talk with him. What are you saying in this situation? What do you, what do you want me to say to that person? And he'll speak to us. He wants to fellowship with us. He wants to have communion with us, relationship with us. In the book of Revelation, John was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. He was in his 90s. And he was the only apostle still alive. The other 11 apostles had all been martyred, except for Judas, who took his own life. And John was exiled to Patmos because of his witness to God, his testimony, because of his Christian faith. And here he was in his 90s. I don't know what he was thinking, but Jesus had in mind for him amazing things. He had visions. He was taken up to heaven and saw amazing things about the future. And Jesus said, I want you to write this down. And the first part of the book of Revelation was when he, Jesus asked John to write down letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And I'm just going to look at two of those letters this morning. Now, these letters were written over 2,000 years ago, but they're even relevant to us today. And it's a great... It's, if you have time, it's great to read them. They're a love letter from Jesus to his church because he cares so much about his church he wanted to write to them and share some things with them. And the first one I'm going to look at is the church at Ephesus. And it was the first letter that went out. And it's in Revelation 2 and from verse 2. Now, if we just have a little look at what Ephesus was like at the time, it gives us an insight 
into the church at Ephesus. Ephesus was a large bustling town. It had a big port, a big harbour, a big marketplace. And it was famous because it had the temple of Diana or Artemis there. It was a huge temple. The columns were 60 feet high. It was one of the seventh wonders of the world in ancient days, not now. And it was there that pagan worshippers went. You know, there was temple prostitutes there, there was sexual immorality, everything went. So people came from far and wide to worship there. You can imagine, you know, it appealed to people because it was amoral and everything went there. The town had, as it was a big port, had sailors also that went in and out. They'd be out for weeks on end, they'd come in and they hadn't been able to spend their money on anything out at sea, so they came into town. All of a sudden, they had access to gambling, they had access to alcohol, they had access to women, they had access to entertainment. And so it was a town that was full of, you know, debauchery, and it was a town that was quite amoral. And in this town, Paul had gone to spread the word. And when he went there, he first went to the synagogues, because there was a Jewish congregation there. But the Jewish people didn't want to hear what Paul had to say. And so he went out into the marketplace and he spread the word with sailors, with anyone who would listen, and he established a large church. And many of those sailors and the pagan worshippers gave their heart to the Lord and a big church flourished. And that's where this letter that Jesus asked John to write was going. So let's pick it up in Revelation 2 and verse 2. To the angel of Ephesus write these things, says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. So the seven stars represent the seven angels. There was an angel over every church in Asia Minor. So there's an angel over the church of Ephesus. And the seven golden lampstands represent the churches themselves. So this is talking about Jesus. Jesus holds the seven angels in his right hand and he walks in the midst of those seven churches just as he does here today. Who felt the presence of the Lord this morning? I certainly did. He was walking amongst us. He was here with us just as he was 2,000 years ago. God searches our hearts. He wants to fellowship and commune with the people. He wants to be present in the church when we worship him and praise him and he will fill our praises with his presence. Amen? And Jesus said, I know your works, this is to the church, your labour, your patience, and that you cannot bear those that are evil. And you have tested those that say they are apostles and are not, and are found liars. And you have persevered, you have patience, you have laboured for my name's sake, and you have not become weary. So Jesus is saying, you've done all these things. You know, this, you know, I see this. I see this is what you're doing. You're busy about the business of the church. You're busy about the ministry. I see that. But then Jesus goes on to say, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. So as they got busy in the church and as the church grew and spread and they had probably programs for this, outreach for that, they left Jesus behind and Jesus wasn't the centre of the church anymore. It was probably a bit of a dead church. Can you imagine doing church without Jesus? There'd be no presence. What does Pastor Pete say? Prayer, presence and power. And there was none of Jesus' presence in this church. So what did Jesus say to them? He said, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent 
and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So Jesus wants the church to know that I just want you to repent. I want you to turn around. I want you to come back to me, your first love. And I will not remove the church. But if you don't come back to me, your first love, that I'm going to remove the church. I don't know if you know David Wilkinson. He's a famous writer. He wrote The Cross and the Switchblade. He went to the gangs in New York. They used to fight to the death. You know, they used, cross, they used switchblades and they would knife one another. And he went in and he evangelised and shared the gospel to those gangs. And many of them turned their hearts to the Lord. And that's what he wrote a book about. He travelled the world and he brought messages all over the world. And in 2006, he came to Perth and he said, I don't know you in Australia. I don't know your churches, but I have sought the Holy Spirit. And this is what the Holy Spirit is saying. There is a spiritual death hanging over Australia. You are not on your face pleading before me. You have neglected me. And his message was how to resurrect a dead church. And he shared that in America, as churches grew and grew, as people started churches, they got so busy in the ministry. They had several services. They had three worship teams, parking attendants, programs, outreach. But Jesus wasn't in it. And as people grew busier and busier, and it's a bit like us, we can get busier and busier. Maybe we're not busy in the ministry like those churches, but maybe we're busy in our lives. And we get so busy because we've got family commitments, we've got work commitments, we've got after um, activities where we've got, you know, maybe sport or we're on a committee or a board, that we can forget to spend time with our first love, Jesus. He wants to commune with us and he wants to fellowship with us. I don't know if you know Francis Frangipani. He's a pastor in America and he started a church and he was down on his knees and he would spend hours every day communing with Jesus, reading the word, just sitting, just being, fellowshipping. And his church started to grow. His church grew and his church grew and his church grew and he had leaders and he had um, youth pastors and he had programs and he had lots of services and his time with the Lord diminished. He didn't have hours every day. He barely had 10 minutes every day. And one day the Holy Spirit whispered to him, Francis, I miss you. You don't talk to me anymore. And he said it broke his heart because he'd forgotten his fellowship with the Lord, his first love. And he, of course, he turned around and, and he went on to be, you know, pastor of the church. But God is calling us into that intimate relationship. He wants time with us. He doesn't want us to go go ahead and make decisions or do things without him. He wants to be involved in every area of our life. Let's have a look at the, the next letter is to the church at Laodicea. I want to share before we close, and it's in Revelation 3 and 14. And this is Jesus again speaking through John, sending out a letter to the church at Laodicea. And he says, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things, says the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Isn't that a beautiful title? Jesus is talking about himself, and this is how he describes himself. I am the Amen. I am the faithful. I am the true witness. I am the beginning of the creation of God. Beautiful, isn't it? Beautiful names for Jesus. And he says, I know your works, that you are neither cold 
nor hot, and I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you were lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. How graphic is that? Imagine getting a letter from God and God says to you, you're neither hot nor cold and I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. It's pretty intense, isn't it? But we've got to remember that these really are love letters. Jesus loves us. He loves his church and he wants us on the right path. And so he's writing to the Laodiceans so they can turn around. He goes on to say, so then because you say I am rich, you have become wealthy and you have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salves that you may see. When we look at the town of Laodicea, it was a very wealthy town and they produced lots of wool products. So the people had lots of money and they had lots of materialistic things. It was on the river Lycra, and just out of Laodicea, there's famous hot springs. People go there for their honeymoon. People go there for healing, like, oh, health reasons. So they might immerse themselves in the hot springs because they have achy muscles or bones, arthritis, things like that. And high above Laodicea, there are snow-capped mountains. And they're, in the winter, they're snow, they're icy. But in the summer, as they melt, the water, the icy water comes down and it mixes with the hot springs and it becomes lukewarm. And if you have a lukewarm drink, sometimes it just turns your stomach, doesn't it? It makes you feel yuck. And Jesus likened the geographical surrounds to the people of Laodicea because they weren't on fire for God, they weren't against God, they were lacklustre. They were going about their business. They probably went to church, you know, regularly, and they had become like a ritual, a religious thing. They lost their passion for God. And God goes, I want you passionate, I want you for me, or I want you against me. I don't want you just lacklustre, just going through life without any oomph. And so he says, you know, I want you to buy refined gold, refined in the fire by me. That is everlasting. Not the materialistic things that you buy. They won't last. You can't take them with you. Gold refined in the fire by me. That's what's everlasting. Amen? And anoint your eyes so that you may see. And he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is Jesus knocking at the door. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he will dine with me. It's an invitation. He's saying, I want to come in and dine with you. I want to fellowship with you. A few months ago, I felt that Jesus was saying to me, Jenny, come away with me. Come and sit with me. Come and have a meal with me. Just this nagging thing. Because, you know, life is busy, isn't it? You, if I'm home, I'm easily distracted. There's always a job to do, isn't there? And you think as you get older, life will get less busy, but you get the grandchildren, you get the... I don't know what happens, but life just seems to get busier. And so one Sunday afternoon, it was after church, I packed up the car and I drove up the coast to a spot that I know where there wouldn't be anyone... And I parked the car and you can go for a walk in the bush. It's a beautiful bush there. And I went for a walk with the Lord. And there, nothing, there was no major thunderbolts from heaven or downloading of anything. But it was just walking and talking with Jesus. 
And then I went for a swim and then I had a, I lit a fire and I had a billy tea and I sat down and ate with God. And I'm like, I just don't do this. And he's like, that's why I called you away. I called you out. Because you can get so busy in what you're doing. I want you just to sit with me. Just sit in my presence and be. And it was a beautiful thing. And I think, why don't I do that more often? Just sometimes we have to jump off the busyness and go, here I am, God. I'm all yours. I'm just going to sit. And even if you don't say anything, just sitting in his presence is so powerful. And that's the 